Let's go ahead and go to the Lord and pray together. Lord God, we come before you this morning and I know we, we come before you and we just say plainly, we love you, Lord. Our hearts just overflow with just thankfulness. Thank you for dying. Thank you for your son dying for us on the cross for our sins. And so we come this morning with just a heart of love for you, a heart that is rejoicing in you. And we just come and even lift up our hands and lift up our lives and just Recognize that all these things, our lives, our days, they're all in your hands. And we just offer them up to you. And I know we don't always know exactly what that will look like. And we don't at all really know what that will look like, you know, in the days to come. And um, it may well mean a lot different than what we may have in mind. But may our answer always just be yes. And so if that means trouble, if that means difficulty, if that means trials, if that means suffering, if that means persecution, just pray right now, Father, our answer is yes. And I pray that that would be every person's answer here right now, that just lifting up their life to you and just saying yes, whatever, and everything you call me to do, whatever you call me to go through, I'll follow you and help us, Lord, to learn this morning from our Savior and from his, his example and his life. And may we learn from it as well as see the glory of what he did for us. May we be in awe. May you help us to bring and, and give, we even pray and ask that you would help, bring, help us to bring all of our, our thoughts and attitudes and heart and our hearts under your word. And so help us, Lord, we ask, we pray that you grow in us even now as we turn to your word, grow in us soft hearts. Grow in us listening ears and help us to have ready feet. I'm gonna pray, Father, for our area in this and Huntsville, and Madison, and what a deep and desperate need there is for Christ. And so help us, help us to take this great news out, and be with us as we now take it and receive your word. Help us to receive it, and eat it up, and take it out, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, if you would, go ahead and Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We'll be in John 19 this morning. So chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. Now as we come to our passage this morning, I don't know if you're like me in in this, but um, I would imagine that we're likely going to be a bit conflicted. What do I mean by that? Well, as we progress on through this gospel and, and we behold our king, 
you know, drawing nearer and nearer to the cross. I think even, and you can, you can know this yourself as, as you've perhaps read your own Bible, you know, or read the Gospels. And uh, that, that feeling kind of torn between two different emotions, you know, as you read them. If you know what I'm talking about. And so, and, and I think that that's right, though, those two different emotions. So let me, let me explain what I mean. So on the one hand, we, we may well be undone as we begin reading of all that Christ did and all that he went through and his suffering and the cross and everything else. And we just, we look at it and we just say, oh my, see how deeply he suffered. And so we have this just overwhelmed perhaps feeling in our hearts are perhaps are, are abound with just this grief and this sorrow, even perhaps a sense of shock over all that Christ goes through. And so we have that maybe, you know, as we, we read through the Gospels and, and we get to this part of the Gospels so that we might have that. And yet on the other hand, kind of intermingled with all of that, we, we would also be right as we see all these things and as we see him suffer, we would be right then also to bow our knees before these things and just simply say, see how he so suffered for me to save a sinner such as I. And so we have these kind of two emotions, and, and with this one we, we rightly overflow with deep kind of God-exalting, rejoicing, and thankfulness. And so I think as we read, you know, the, the Gospels, and we get to this part of the Gospels, I think, you know, we're, we're right in and perhaps filling both of these things as we take in the, the, the dreadful, costly suffering of Christ. And so as I read our passage this morning then, I just want to encourage you, you know, just fill them both. <laughs> you know, fill, they're, they're both right and they both have their place. And perhaps even as you see his sufferings, recognize, oh my the reason why he had to suffer like that was because of me. And that overwhelmed feeling of, oh my, it was my sin that he died for and he suffered for in this way. And so fill them both in worship and let your love for Christ overflow. And indeed, let your heart be anchored to Christ this morning. And if you don't know Christ, may you look to Christ this morning. Yeah. And so let's read this passage then, beginning with verse 1. So chapter 19, verse 1. And so may we come humbly and trembling and rejoicing at God's word. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and he said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out 
wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man! And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And so Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. And so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So here, as we continue on in this gospel, we see Jesus pressing on with the cross indeed right before him. Pressing on down this lonesome road to the cross. And so thus far, as we have kind of been walking on from chapter 18 onward, Jesus, he has stood before Annas. He has stood before Caiaphas. And and we don't see that expressly here in this gospel, but we know that from the other gospels. He's done that. And now here we have something of a, a part two to his kind of being tested and tried before Pilate. And so as we... We press on here along this road as we're seeing Christ walk along it. Let's do then as as Pilate mockingly kind of declares here and let's behold our king because that's who he is. This is our king. And as we see him and as we behold him, let's first see here the king's glory. The king's glory. Now as we see his glory... Know right now that he is not being forced to the cross. He is taking it up and he is going that death may die. He is going to golf the gap between God and us. He is going to bring about a kingdom that is not of this 
world, but will last well beyond this world. And so Jesus, when you see him here, we need not think of him as some miserable, weak, feeble Savior. He is a king. And he is indeed the king. And so here we see the king's glory. And so first, as we behold our king, first see or behold his shame. Now, as we look at these opening verses here, you know, we need to know something of the context of what's going on. And so in no way excusing Pilate here, but as Jesus is brought before Pilate, Pilate, he was, at this time period, he was really not on the best of terms with the emperor, Tiberius. And so when Pilate, he became governor over Judea, you know, he came in quite boldly. And he came in bringing these, these images with him of the emperor, which, you know, as, they, as you know, the Rome, they saw the emperor as divine. And so with that being the case, how do you think the Jews received that? Not well. <laughs> they did not like this at all. This was not okay with the Jews. This was tantamount to idolatry in Jerusalem. And so they protested. And so they had something of a face-off with Pilate. You know, and, and he lost. <laughs> He had to relent and back away. And of course, the emperor is hearing about all this. And he's hearing about Pilate's you know, exploits and everything else. And he's like, come on, Pilate. You need to keep the peace here. And so it keeps going on and on like this. These things kind of just keep on happening. Another time, out of a desire to honor the emperor, Pilate, he places these shields with Tiberius' name inscribed on them. So he's trying to honor the emperor. And he places them in Herod's former temple in Jerusalem. So how do you think the, the Jews responded to that? <laughs> Not good. So similar issue. And they came to him and said, you've got to take these out of there. And of course, you know, Pilate, he refuses. And so he causes quite the ruckus. And the Jews, what do they do? They go and take this issue before the emperor himself. And the emperor is not happy. Not at all. So he commands Pilate, you better take those shields out of there right now. And so Pilate does it. So in this way, we see again and again that Pilate at this time, he's not in good shape before the emperor he is essentially between a rock and a hard place. And he's, he's trying to balance all these tensions that he's got going on. The Jews, which he would just love to just show them their place. But he can't do that. He knows all these other instances before him. And so here we are. Where he's kept grating at the Jews. And so at this point in the gospel, he is in hot water with the emperor. And so it is with this kind of context the Jews, they are pressuring Pilate to crucify Jesus. And so he is indeed trying to, to please them. So in an effort to appease him, what does he do? 
Yes, Jesus flogged. And that's really all that's behind this. He hasn't found anything. <laughs> you know, he's just trying to, to appease the Jews at this point. And that's all we're told. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. <laughs> and so the gospel writers, they don't go into all the gory details of what flogging was at that time period. So there's no movie here, you know, no passion of the Christ was given. And so we should at least note that, at least, at least note what John is doing, what God is emphasizing here, even as it's right at the same time to understand what went on here with this flogging. So what was it? What happened when they would take someone and, and flog them like this? Well, there are actually three levels to Roman flogging in that day. And the first was the least severe, mainly for minor offenses. So you could come away with that relatively okay. Now the second was more severe. And it was reserved for those who had done really uh, more serious kind of crimes, more severe offenses. And the third, as you can guess, was the most severe. And it was reserved for the most heinous of crimes. And so it is with that third form then that the soldiers, they would have tied the person up to a post, kind of like if you've seen that movie, The Passion of the Christ, like you see there with Jesus being, you know, put tied to the post and they would have stripped the person of their clothing and they would have beat him or them again and again and again with a whip strung with all variety of things, uh, you know, pieces of bone and pieces of lead and other metals, even iron balls. And they had no restrictions of like, you know, 39 lashes here. They would just keep beating. And they would keep beating until they were tired or until they were told, hey, you need to stop. <laughs> you know, that, that they had no limitations. Just keep going at it. Well, some... Some say Jesus may well have actually been beaten twice in the Gospels. Once here, kind of, you know, with the first type, kind of like a less severe kind of beating. So uh, here, and, and then a second type after the pronouncement of the sentence with the more severe type. But either way, we see how deeply Jesus was shamed. We see how deeply he suffered. He was indeed beaten, and he was beaten severely and such that when he gets to the point of carrying the cross, you can understand why it's so difficult, aside from it being a cross, you know, how difficult it was for him to hold it. Just utterly worn out, beaten almost to dead. But they weren't finished. After having done this, we just got one verse there that said it. They flogged him. And so the shaming, though, was far from over. After he was flogged, the soldiers, they, they took these thorn branches, likely from the date palm, and, and these thorns, they weren't just kind of like your rose bushes kind of thorns, you know. These thorns could be 12 inches long. So they could be quite long and so they took these branches and they formed them into a crown and they wrenched them down upon Jesus' head. And so to add to this crown 
They placed on him a purple robe. Shame upon shame upon shame. They weren't done. (laughs) And the soldiers, they then begin mocking Jesus and hitting him. And they hail him as king of the Jews. And so shame upon shame and humiliation upon humiliation. And so after all of this, this bloody, bruised, beaten man was presented before the people. Behold the man, you know. And he's doing this, Pilate, he's trying to appease the Jews. See how badly beaten he is? Will you not just have some sort of like mercy on him? You see, is this not enough? No. It wasn't enough, and they were not appeased. So consider our king's glory here. And this is his glory. He would be beaten, and he would bear all of this for you. He was shamed for you. He was shamed for your sins, for your transgressions, for your rebellion against God. If you don't think sin is serious, just see all this and see how serious sin really is. It's very costly. And it's worthy of the greatest of punishments. So we see then his shame and we behold the king's glory and then also we behold as well his humble submission. Now lest we forget in all this, he is doing all of these things before the will of the Father. You know, today, you know, when we face stuff in our life, you know, we, we may well complain and grumble, you know, and, and fret. Yet look at Jesus here. See how far he would obey, how he would persistently submit to God. He would be shamed and mocked without flinching or ceasing to look to the Father. And so what is compelling him in here? It is certainly love for you and you. It is love for us and it is certainly his love for the Father that compels him. Amen. So even as the Jews demand Jesus be crucified, even as they charge him, With blasphemy, he submits to the Father in everything. And so since Pilate finds no basis for crucifying Jesus, they desperately keep bringing their issues here before Pilate. They can't find anything, so they're just just trying anything they can. And so they declare then in verse 7, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. Now, that would be blasphemy if he wasn't, but he was, and he is. So no charge against him still. And so this, this startles Pilate at hearing this, and Pilate, he was wondering about it before with that first kind of time 
with talking with Jesus, and now he's just adding one thing on another, all these questions. I, I don't know what finally happened to Pilate, if he ever came to faith in Christ. I mean, he doesn't come to faith in Christ here, and I'm not saying he does, but he is definitely like, who is this guy, you know? He's wondering about, I mean, they just called him the son of God. And, and in their culture, they had all these deities and such. And so surely he is thinking, oh my, I do not want to mess with a deity here. So this is some of the things that he's thinking. So it makes sense. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Who is this man? And so he does, he does, he then go takes Jesus and he takes him back again into the praetorium. And he asks you know, Jesus, like, where are you from? Like, he's trying to find out, like, are you from, like, like, heaven? Like, are you, like, a god, like a deity? Or who are you? Where are you from? And so, very frustratingly to Pilate, Jesus does not answer him. <laughs> and as we see things like this in the Gospels, we need to see what Jesus is doing. He is fulfilling Scripture, but he is also... At each point, as each opportunity arises for him to kind of step away from the cross, he doesn't step away. He could have, he could, but he doesn't. He continually treks onward towards the cross. He doesn't say anything or do anything that would keep him away from the cross, and he could. And so he doesn't, and so Jesus, he will not be moved from the Father's will. His face is set like flint. I will do the will of God. Amen. And so Pilate, of course, he doesn't get all this. He thinks that he's in charge. He thinks he has authority over Jesus. And so, or but even now, God will not have us cease to see that these events all these things that are happening, they're unfolding under God's sovereign will. Even now, Jesus answers in verse 11, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So in the midst of all this, Jesus, he doesn't throw off complete submission to God and his will, nor does he throw off the reality of God's sovereignty. Just consider that for a second. As you face suffering in your own life, I mean, how many of you have went through trials? <laughs> you know, trouble, pain, sorrow, loss. Consider Jesus' disposition as he faces the greatest suffering in the world. And he will not let go of doing God's will. And God is in control. Amen. So as we behold our king, as we behold his glory here, see how his suffering exhorts us to anchor our hearts to God. It was through his suffering through his being glorified in the cross, that we have eternal life. Now here we need to remember, Jesus, he didn't just take up his cross. He did take it up, right? But what did he also do? What did he also call you to do? To take it up also. 
So when you see his shame, when you see this incredible, humble submission to God in the midst of suffering, in the midst of all of life, this isn't to be some kind of distant truth for us. We're not just to say, oh, that was just Jesus, that was just his manner of things, that's not for me to learn from. No, no, in our lives also. Don't miss God and his sovereign purposes and what you're going through. When suffering comes, when persecution comes, when trial comes, when the world seeks to hold its sway over us, it isn't then that we need to throw off our faith. It is then that we are to anchor our hearts to God all the more. So this past week, you know, Megan, she, she shared something with me and I want to share it with you also. And so this is from a woman named Kimberly Henderson of Proverbs 31 Ministries. And, and she writes here of just these things of, of God's will, his, his plans and his purposes in our suffering. And, and so she writes this. I would have pulled Joseph out, out of that pit, out of that prison, out of that pain. I would have cheated nations out of the one God would use to deliver them from famine. I would have pulled David out, out of Saul's spear-throwing presence, out of the caves he hid away in, out of the pain of rejection. I would have cheated Israel out of a God-hearted king. I would have pulled Esther out, out of being snatched from her own family, out of being placed in a position she never asked for, out of the path of a vicious, power-hungry foe. I would have cheated a people out of the woman God would use to save their very lives. I would have pulled Jesus off, off of the cross, off of the road that led to suffering and pain, off of the pain that would mean nakedness and beatings, nails and thorns. I would have cheated the entire world out of a Savior, out of salvation, out of an eternity filled with no more suffering and no more pain. And oh friend, I want to pull you out. I want to change your path. I want to stop your pain. But right now I know I would be wrong. I would be out of line. I would be cheating you and cheating the world out of so much good. Because God knows. He knows the, the good this pain will produce. He knows the beauty this hardship will grow. He's watching over you and keeping you even in the midst of this. He's promising you that you can trust Him even when it all feels like more than you can bear. And so also, brothers and sisters, see how His suffering here exhorts us to greater faith in God and not less faith in God. All backwards, isn't it? You see how God works in history? The greatest works of God have come through great suffering, great hardship and trials. So consider yourself. Consider your own self and ask the question, am I willing to go through suffering or whatever it be? Am I willing to say yes? I will do God's will. 
I will anchor my heart to God no matter what happens. And see how our Savior anchored his heart to the Father. And so anchor your heart to God also. And see the greater glory that he is preparing you for. Your suffering is not outside of God's plans. Even though we don't understand it all, we always we need to lean into God in them. And so we see that too with Jesus. Jesus does not shy away from all of this or any of this. Do you remember what he prayed? Yeah. What did he pray in the high priestly prayer right before he went into all this? He said in John 17, 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And what is he talking about? He's saying, take me to the cross that I may be glorified and that you may be glorified. Through his suffering, his cross, his resurrection, come eternal life and victory and salvation for all who look to him by faith. And so behold your king. And in contrast, then as we have seen this and we've seen his glory and his shame and his humiliation, the king's glory, see here then second, the world's great guilt. So again and again here we are told there's no guilt in him. I'll show you. John 18, 38. I find no guilt in him. John 19, 4. I find no guilt in him. John 19, 6. I find no guilt in him. It's kind of like John's trying to get you to see this, right? And God's trying to just show you there is no guilt. Jesus has no guilt whatsoever. And the same thing with other Gospels. They do the same thing. And even in Acts as well. We are told this of the Jews. Now this is, this is kind of Pilate giving this verdict, but this is told of the Jews also. And though they found, in Acts 13, 28, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. So no guilt everywhere. Now what is that? What is guilt? Now I think we, I think we know it, right? I mean, we, we know it, we've experienced it, we've felt it, but what is it? <laughs> you, know? You, you know how it weighs you down, you feel it in your heart, you feel it in your mind, you feel it in your soul, but what is it? What's well, something that it's having done something wrong. And more specifically, it's, it's having disobeyed God. And, and not just that, but it's a worthiness and a deservedness of punishment. So with Christ, we don't see that of Him. There's only obedience. And there's absolutely no basis for punishment for him. Yet what is he doing? So there is no guilt in him. But there is great guilt in them. And so Jesus, he says in verse 11, He who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. 
So this statement he makes here, I mean, he may have been referring to Judas or Caiaphas. We're not quite certain which one it is because they both had a, a, a massive role in delivering him over. But see here that each of them, all of them have transgressed God's law. They have rejected God's son. They have even rejected God himself. So each and every one of them are guilty. And this is evident as they mock him who is king. The soldiers mock him. They bow before him. They ridicule him. Pilate even tells the people, behold, your king. Again, we're seeing the ironies that John is bringing out here. As they're acting like he isn't a king, he is indeed the king. And he is indeed the king of the Jews. And yet they reject him. Even more, they reject God as their king. So the Jews here, they go on and they threaten Pilate. Verse 12, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And then with Pilate on the judgment seat or the stone pavement there, they answered him incredibly. Verse 15, we have no king but Caesar. Really? <laughs> Just see the irony of their statement. I mean, is, you just want to ask him, is, is that the picture that you have seen throughout all the history of the unfolding of God's revelation? Is that what you have seen as you've read the Old Testament? Was, was Caesar the one that was lifted high there? Is that the sense that you get from 1 first, first Samuel 8 when God, he told Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And so they're even rejecting what God has plainly said in his word. So many levels of guilt, of rejection of God. And so it is that we see clearly the guiltless Christ and the guilty world. And this brings us to our desperate need for what? For this very gospel. It points to not just their need, but ours also. It doesn't minimize Christ. It magnifies Christ because there was no guilt found in him, but there is great guilt found in us. And that guilt lies behind so much of what is going on in people's hearts today as they're going here to find answers. They're going here to find answers. And right there in their hearts is this massive weight of guilt. They don't know what it is. They don't know how to handle it. And they're just trying to deal with it. You know, give me alcohol. Give me a bottle to drink. Give me drugs. Give me ice cream. Whatever can make that guilt go away. Please, just give it to me. And people throwing up these smoke screens and they place all kinds of fog around it and yet there behind all of that stuff is this guilt. I try to hide it away, brush it away, ignore it. But there it is. And the answer, it's not found in, in a bottle of food or the fads or trends or ideologies of our day. 
My, oh my, no. Our deep guilt is answered only in Christ. Amen. In Christ alone. The moral ambiguity of our country and world, the moral relativism and moral confusion of our day are not the answer to our guilt. They're trying. Everyone's trying. They're trying hard to create their own meaning, to create their own morality, to avoid the very thing, this, this guilt that's in them they don't know what to do with. Our guilt and our sin against God will, know, will not go away by ignoring it. Your sin must be dealt with either to come to Christ for salvation or for sanctification. It, you always must not ignore your sin. It is costly. It will either cost you your life eternally like eternal judgment or it will be that you will look to the one who cost him his life that you may have eternal life through him. So we must plainly deal with it. And so here then, we see him who is guiltless being flogged for you, mocked for you, going to the cross for you. He came to save the guilty sinner. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, may we indeed anchor our faith, anchor your faith, to the guiltless saving Savior. Look to him who paid it all for you. Cease running from your guilt and place it, place all of it before this prophet, this priest, this king. He came to be beaten for it, to be humiliated for it, to pay for all of it for you. And so may you look to Christ by faith today. May each of us anchor our hearts to Christ. God. Let's pray. Father, we come and we thank you. We do feel both of these emotions. The grief, the sorrow, the shock. And the rejoicing, the thanksgiving, the amazement that Jesus would go through all this and he would go to the cross, he would be beaten, he would experience this shame, he would be humiliated, he would humble himself entirely and, and seek to do your will wholeheartedly out of love for you and love for us. So help us, Father, to look to Christ this morning. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, may they look to him now. That guilt that they have, and they know it. They know it's there. They've, they've been trying to figure out what that is, and, and now they know and just pray they would see their need even now for Christ. They would put their faith in the one who came to pay the penalty for all of it. May they believe and confess Christ as their Lord and Savior this morning. May each of us follow Christ. May we anchor our heart to him. 
Anchor our heart to you, God, through Christ, by your Spirit. As we face this world, as we face trials, as we face whatever may come. May we trust you and look to you as our hope. And so help us, Lord, as we respond to your word. May we glory in our King, in Jesus' name. Amen.